0: Yeah.
1: Today's episode of Cinema Gush is brought to you by the hate at first sight trope. Ever tire of the boy meets girl, they fall in love, and get together hallmarky kind of story? Today's sponsor presents the alternative history where a guy meets girl, they can't stand each other, and they spend the bulk of the flick avoiding and annoying the ever-living heck out of each other. Take a dash of your classic couples, your Frank Grimes to Homer Simpson, your Ripley to Bishop, or Wolverine to Cyclops. Hate at first sight. The instant dark chemistry will bring a smile to your face because sometimes there's nothing better than when they don't get together. What makes this trope a classic is the games the two star-crossed haters immediately begin to play, whether it's the choco-lax and the milkshake trick or the constant <sighs> barrage of annoying nicknames or even the casual hitting on your mom. The hater first sight trope is an instant crowd teaser squeezer and it too brutus to your Caesar. The hate first sight trope applied directly on the thin skin. Yes. Alright, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to yet another exciting episode of Cinema Gush. I'm Nick, we got Brendan here, and we have ourselves a very, very special guest. A one Mr. Corey Edwards, the head of Future Boy Films. Sir, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, guys.
2: I'm excited to talk about this film and excited to talk with you guys. Love it.
1: Oh, likewise, man.
2: What a doozy of a movie you picked, too. I don't know whether you should introduce it or I should, but I'm going to let you guys do the, do the hosting, but I'm excited to jump in.
1: Yes, indeed, sir. Well, we're happy to have you here. We're super excited to jump in on this fantastical, super late 90s flick, The Iron Giant. Where were you when you first saw this film, good sir? You
2: know, I don't remember the specific, uh, the specific theater, but I did see it in a theater, and I remember the poster. I remember the trailer. And I remember thinking the poster really doesn't do this film justice, and we'll talk about that. A lot of the marketing didn't do this film justice, but I did go, and it's one of those films that I walked out kind of as an evangelist for. Uh, just stop people in the street and say, "Have you seen the Iron Giant?" <laughs> um, and I'm doing that to this day. And I, as we were talking before yeah. the show, this is one of one of the films on a very short list of desert island uh, movies. And um, I think, you know, I I remember Steven Spielberg saying that before he directs a film, there are like five films that he watches every time before he directs a film. And as I was finishing. Yeah. Yeah. To psych himself up and to remind him of what's important, what he loves about movies. And I think this is one of them for me. If I had to pick three to five films, this is one of them. Um, I'm in the entertainment business because of films like this. Yes. Yes.
0: Yes. Yes,
1: absolutely. I too remember seeing that trailer early on, and them saying, "You know, I think maybe it was the t- uh, the TV commercial cut of it, but just constantly hearing the name Hogarth, a name so strange, it just can't help <laughs> but stick in your brain, right, forever." <laughs> right. Not sure where oh they got that.
0: Nick, did you see this in theaters?
1: I did. My goodness, it was the year was ninety nine, and I saw it. At Oh my gosh! Paul Lock Tempe theaters on Elliott and 48th in Phoenix, Arizona. I don't know why I remember that so well, but I do. It's definitely off of McClintock, but go on. I do remember seeing it. It was, and that's the cheap theaters, by the way, because I couldn't see it um, right when it came out. I had to wait till it was a buck fifty on a Tuesday, where I got my free popcorn and drink. But yes, I absolutely recall seeing this movie, um, and just, you know. There were so many things this time that I totally didn't catch. I mean, I wouldn't have caught the first time. I wasn't allowed to watch Friends growing up, so I wouldn't have recognized Jennifer Aniston. Um, <laughs> I listened to a lot of jazz, oh, so I for sure recognized Harry Connick Jr. Um, Vin Diesel was, I mean, literally just coming up at that point. And, um, yeah. Yeah, so the, and then, of course, and I will definitely get to this later, a part that I did not know until just this watch, but Christopher McDonald, oh, my goodness. I will get to that later. (laughs) Hey, buddy. uh, Brendan, where did you see this one?
0: So I believe we saw it in theaters. I'm not 100% on that. And if we did, we saw it at the Gaslight Cinema. And I know it would have been that one because that's literally the only theater in town here up in Helena, Montana. (laughs) But I do know if we didn't see it in theaters, we rented it as soon as it came out. Because it was one of those movies that I felt like none of my friends even heard about. But it Mm -hmm. clicked with my mother so she wanted her kids to watch it and wow i have been enraptured by this movie ever since well i well, not to jump too far ahead but man this movie makes me cry every single time i watch it i mm-hmm. yeah but I'll, it's
2: amazing it's ama- yeah. you can watch it with the sound off there are moments in this movie with the sound off that i still will cry
0: yeah mm-hmm. yeah oh it gets it, it gets me every time L- last night i watched it with my kids and the, my oldest is 8 and again i don't want to jump too far ahead but it was straight up weeping and yeah. i was like together we did it together it was right yeah. okay. but no i want to hear what well, tell us about this the first time you saw it after just gushed your heart's content yeah i will i will to hear i, will, I yes. will gush
2: i will gush you know it's 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 amazing because uh just to set the stage for some people maybe that are, are discovering this through the podcast um it really is a hidden gem, and I think it was right place, right time. It was just uh, because, uh, as far as when it was made, Warner Brothers Animation was this experiment over at Warner Brothers, and they were deciding they didn't that the experiment didn't work, and they were shutting down Warner Brothers Animation right in the middle of when Brad Bird is making his feature film debut. He's this promising young animation director, and they just kind of were like literally closing up shop while they were finishing this film. So nobody Whoa. cared what they were doing. Like nobody, like he, he said he got notes, but pr- pretty much they just left him alone. And I've just found, you know, <laughs> some of the most groundbreaking things that we see in any art is when people just leave the artist alone. So, yeah. so it was a little gang of guys that barely had enough, you know, budget to get it done. They, there's all kinds of stories about Brad Bird, like storyboarding and animating some of the scenes himself. Um, and, I, I, just, I just I think that it really benefited from that now where it did not benefit is that Warner Brothers is just like you know what uh this is the last of a failed experiment of an animation department that you know I I, I think they've they've done something else with it now but as far as traditional hand-drawn stuff I don't know I think they've done Anastasia and they've done I don't know I, I'm not here to give the the history of that Warner Brothers animation division but they just decided to tank the marketing too like they I believe the trailer was something. It was. It was more like a. Here's a big killer robot that a boy found. I mean, it was. It was kind of like um, a kidsy Transformers ad or something. And mm-hmm. and so a lot of people that I told about this film, they they their response was really. And I'm like, yeah, like it has so much heart that the marketing people didn't really even care to share with the world. So, but when I watched it, I just remember the first thing I remember about it was. I don't know who this Brad Bird guy is, but he's making good decisions at every turn. Um a phrase my brother likes to use, he's also a writer-director. I knew I was in good hands. And I kept saying through the whole movie, oh, oh, I'm in good hands. Oh my goodness. Uh like yeah. I, I just <laughs> I've worked on a lot of things where I like 80% of it or 60% of it. And like, this has to feel good to Brad Bird because I mean it, it just feels like there wasn't a a bad move in in it, and I think that did have a lot to do with that he it was his first film, and so he was swinging for the fences, and yet nobody, none of the suits were coming around giving him notes or clamping down on him or saying, you know, can we see the robot sooner? Uh, which, by the way, we don't see the robot till like twenty minutes into this movie. Like, as far as really see him and see the boy meet him, get, there get is him so back. much mystery and there's so much um, they withhold so much from you for so long that that's Never one of the great things together, I love about yeah. it. And I'm just going through some general thoughts here before I take you. Yeah. Yeah. Before, before I take you through the whole uh, yeah. narrative, just the look of it was, it was new yet. It was old because the when I was looking at the designs again, it kind of harkens to like the sixties era of Disney, like 101 Dalmatians, a um, uh, little bit of jungle book, mm-hmm. but like mm-hmm. they're very angular faces and big, long pointed noses and, uh, I think something you saw again in The Incredibles, where people can have spherical heads, they can heads, they can have they can have they can have you know, rectangular heads. So there was a lot of that, and a lot of and, and it was a very painterly look, a very traditional two D look. But that traditional style is paired with the giant himself, which is at the dawn of this experiment where they were taking three D models and doing what's called toon shading. So the vehicles and the Iron Giant and some of the fighter planes. They look very solid. They look very like when their geometry turns, it's very satisfying. I don't know yeah. what what it is about it, but it's it's so satisfying to watch this robot move around uh, because he looks like he's got line drawing over him. But it's it's just this.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: They've used it in other shows like Futurama, where they have spaceships that they want to sure, sure. keep keep the geometry really tight. So I don't know why I geek out on that, but I do.
1: Man, the Iron Giant kind of looks a bit like Bender, doesn't he?
2: <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah. Just... Is the giant
0: CG the entire movie? He is. I mean, wh- wow. uh, what? I mean, what do you call CG? It's not. Well, I know what you mean, but he's com- he's generating. Yeah. Like it, I didn't realize that. I thought that was just certain scenes, but yeah. That, the thing is, like in Futurama, you can tell. Yeah. I, he blends in perfectly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well,
2: I, I think they've done other things like uh there's a movie called Titan AE, where yeah, you sure. know, the, the CGI is a little too glassy, it's a little too yeah, shiny. Yeah. This they kept everything uh dry, as we like to say in the animation biz. Uh there's no shine to him, there's no texture. Is a real temptation to put textures on stuff. Oh, you know, you can map anything over a three D model. Sure. But they kept him, you know, grey and and he matches the paint look of the background. So He just, it's just the way he moves. And that decision was such a good one because I saw some early sketches of what Hogarth was going to look like and what the giant was going to look like. And it was wacky stuff, guys. It was (laughs) like the giant looked like uh, a, uh, he looked like a silly tin man from the Wizard of Oz. Like with big googly Mm -hmm. eyes, it was, it was awful. So uh, thank goodness they made the right decision. Mm -hmm. Um, I even like, you know, in the designs, like, like Hogarth,
0: his teeth are crooked. Like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not a perfect-looking kid. Something I didn't notice until this viewing, but the amount of love those put into designing, even the background characters. I mean, yeah. there's nobody there that didn't look like they could carry a narrative on their own. I mean, they all looked like they were important and well-loved, and I I loved it. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's beautiful.
1: Everyone from the bullies in the classroom to the teacher, the other patrons at the diner. Um, that, was, right. that was the first note that I wrote down when I was watching this, was when the, when the fisherman was talking about the experience that he had and everyone's kind of chiming in there's like no you don't know what that was or anything like that there's something about the facial expressions that you got in that hand-drawn animation that i don't know if it necessarily translates as perfectly to cgi but there's something there's something about the life i can't quite explain this and this is this is in no way a knock on cgi but just there's something about hand-drawn and the kind of rubber toyness of it and the expressions that just it felt so like human yeah i don't know how else to explain it but i wrote that down
0: (laughs) That was the scene that actually I first noticed that as the guy saying no one knew it was either whiskey or beer and his expression. I'm like, man, this character seems like a character that we could watch for a while and he's never seen. It right. Again. Yeah. Just
2: a minor guy. I love it. Oh man. Um, you know, I think we're only just now in the CGI, the 3d computer animated movies that we're seeing now that everybody kind of expects now. I think we're only just now in the past few years, getting this stuff that feels like hand drawn, like that, the, the, yeah. there's a lot of limits people don't realize on computer animation. Um, you know you look at the first toy story and it they were wise to pick toys as their characters because it's very mm. plastic there's you got to put all these little uh, movement points on on the model but here so now now we're getting to that stuff where like yeah. uh, what I just saw Luca and it's it's like his mouth moves around on the outside of his face sometimes it feels like whatever they could draw they could do in the computer and that's very new. And very advanced. So it's so satisfying to watch good hand-drawn animation. Um, and I was going to say too, I, I'd never really thought about it until I watched it again recently. This film is directed uh, differently than a lot of animated movies. It's it's not as springy and zippy. And uh, th- there's this incredible pressure in animation that just to move things faster than real life and to make people bounce around. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, the, and this one, I think, It took such time when you when when the kid discovers the giant, when the giant discovers a deer in the forest, there are so many quiet moments that, pull. Mm. you know, we forget that in film you can get pulled in by a very slow, very quiet moment, uh, sometimes more than explosive action. Um, And he I guess Brad Bird really that was one of the places where he really kind of had to struggle with the uh, with the notes from the studio is just like well, can we get to the giant sooner? Or, or you know, this is valuable screen time when the kid's looking around in the woods and it's all dark, but they were looking at like black and white storyboards. So they were getting real nervous. There's a lot of black on the screen. There's a lot of dark on the screen. Mm-hmm. And once they added color, wherever his flashlight would show in the middle of the forest, you'd see like these rich orange and brown, you know, fallen trees and and uh, pine trees with green on them. And so there's, there's still these bursts of color, but because he's waving his flashlight around, you're so focused and you're so in the moment of a kid with a flashlight. And I just think Brad Bird remembered what we forget that we're all, the audience is going to sit down and discover this with the kid moment to moment to moment. And it's uh that goes with the lighting, the dramatic lighting of, you know uh, it's lit. Like some, a lot of animated films are not lit this way. It's sometimes very dramatic and lots of shadows and, and it kind of gives it that noirish feel. it, and again, it feels like a live action film, like there are chances taken with the lighting and the, like I say, the pace that live action films get to take all the time. Um, and I think that's why we get sucked in. I was yeah. really,
0: yeah, no, I was just really struck. You mentioned that, that one shot where his mom turns around to say, I'm not in the mood after picking her up. And she's like washed out by the yeah. headlights behind her. That's risky. That's hard the, to get. The guts to yeah. do that. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. 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 It's hard to do. I did notice that as well. Um, and there's, I think, uh, Kent Mansley, uh, who I'll talk about in a second. But but uh, <laughs> well, he, he works yeah. for the
0: government, right? Hey, Mansley <laughs> works for the government.
2: He like interrogates this kid and they did. And I think the interrogation scene, there's like nothing but blackness around him. Yes. And uh, one single light is hitting all the characters' faces. And it's, it's, again, made the producers, the the studio people, very nervous. They're like, there's no background. He's like, no, no, no. I want to isolate them in darkness. And, you know, just a lot of chances taken um Mm -hmm. and i and i would say i'm gonna get to like how the movie starts but like just overall the reason i love this movie too is that it has so many great what appear to be innocuous setups like like worthless things like little throwaway lines or funny things but they are setups to huge emotional payoffs um just lines that when you hear them you choke up uh i go you stay no following uh see no, I, I get it i don't get don't chills just talking about it but 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 when he yeah. said when the kid first says it it's just like this silly little bad dog you said i go you know but um that's the best kind of storytelling is when you the audience doesn't see it coming man it's like it's like in uh not to talk about Galaxy yeah. Quest, but, you know, when Alan Rickman is like, by Grakthas hammer, you will be avenged. And he hates this ho- <laughs> hokey line. And then he says it at the end of the movie to a guy that's dying in his arms. And you're like, holy crap, that I'm being gutted like a fish from the same stupid line.
1: So I love that stuff. Um, yeah. The
2: silly
0: movie that oh, grabbed. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's it's the same with the, the cappuccino sequence when, you know, he's drinking the cappuccino and, and Dean's just telling him, look, man, you are who you choose to be, right? Yeah. Like I. It hadn't even uh. registered to me until this viewing that it was just in that you're laughing because he's you know spitting out his entire life and he's doing the homework and nobody else will do the homework if they just do the dang homework they wouldn't fight with him and <laughs> you're laughing and so you re- you barely even notice that like the whole theme of the picture is set right it's in front set, of you yeah you know? it's it's set right yeah. there
0: and and that the character takes the you you have one, an adult teaching the kid who teaches the giant who's
2: yeah 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 just brilliant well um. I, I know. I, I do. You guys want to go through the whole movie, and I can tell you what I love Let's about each it. and every yeah, single man, scene. I, I, I think that oh, I think that um, I didn't have an appreciation when I first saw it. I think the great films. The more you watch them, the more you appreciate them. They just get better and better. And and this one, uh, you know, I guess it was based on uh, it was based on a book which I'm not too familiar with, The Iron Man by Ted Hughes. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there you go. I, I wonder. I, I would like to read it to see how different it is, but I.
0: That's kind of my why it's there. <laughs> I think but, yeah. it was Bird's.
2: Uh, it's funny if I just call him Bird. I think of it just a bird making a decision. Um, uh, but I think Bird's decision to set it in the fifties in nineteen fifty-seven, and so specifically, the first shot is Sputnik going by, and I I didn't realize this till I heard him talking about it on the commentary. It's like that was the beginning of the space race between us and Russia. And the, and the beginning of the Cold War. And Sputnik was only up there rotating, uh, uh, orbiting the Earth for like a month. But everybody could, everybody could see it I in the sky. Everybody could see it go by every once in a while. This little dot in the stars. And it just freaked people out. It freaked them out about advancing technology. It freaked them out about you know the fear of the other. And that's the theme of this whole movie is fear of the other. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it shows up in a lot of ways. Um, but, but from the, I'm, I'm always a fan of, I want to see, you know, especially filmmakers I admire, what's the first shot of the movie and what's the last shot of the movie. And as I'm putting movies out there, I really try to think about that. I don't know why it just is like, put some thought into those two shots. And this very first mm-hmm. shot, um, well, even from the logo, I, I don't know if you guys know this, they designed that Warner brothers logo just for this film. It doesn't appear in any other film in that way.
0: The red booping one? The, the WB
2: that. Shield. It's kind of a vintage painted version of the WB Shield. And uh, again, with lighting, it comes from darkness into light. And, and and it does this moody kind of swing of light over the Warner Brothers logo as it goes through the the rings, the, 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 the Looney Tunes yeah. rings. So they did it just and then you start hearing this beep. And um, the movie starts with these mysterious beeps, which could be from Sputnik, and they end with beeps. Which come from you know who putting himself together. Oh Spoiler gosh, alert! Yes. But so it it begins with beeps and it ends <laughs> with beeps, and that whole shot I, I just I didn't realize till I heard Bre- Mr. Bird talking about it is that you got to see Sputnik go by, then you got to go down to the Earth, and you got to see that there's a storm brewing, and then you got to see that something is falling from space, and there's a, a shape of something. But then we pass it, and we get down to the storm, and then we meet our uh, our kooky uh, fishermen as as we called them, and and the whole opening shot the whole opening scene is like a monster movie which again i Mm -hmm. I think it was not afraid to be moody and and scary and the first reveal to the fisherman um there are a few shots that i'll I'll maybe stop and go great shot uh throughout this podcast uh this this movie is full of great shots and one is he thinks he's seeing a lighthouse Mm -hmm. and the light from the lighthouse turns and it's two eyes what
0: great shot we were babysitting somebody and we <laughs> gotcha. got to, to that shot and uh, that's the moment we had to apologize to their parents because they were scared the rest of the night Oh, no. finish the movie
2: because it is like a Godzilla it's so movie it's yeah. scary yeah, yeah that's this dark thing rising out of the water um, but it's great you know it grabs you and then uh, and then we get to this diner scene and so the kooky guy comes in I saw it I saw it and all that um, but this diner scene takes care of so many things as a writer I just marvel at it because we we got to meet I mean, we basically meet all the main characters, and we learn something about them, like, in lightning speed. And I, it's it's mm. marvelous.
0: effortless, Effortlessly. I mean, yeah. It takes yeah. care of so many things at once. Yeah. First
2: of all, we learn that the mom is hot. Uh, then we learn uh, – <laughs> no, but Super. we like her. She's kind of sassy. <laughs> yeah. She's kind of smart. But she – Hogarth has this pet squirrel in a box, or he wants to make it his pet. But I think it's kind of cool that he doesn't hide it from his mom. He says, Mom, I have this squirrel. I want to make it my pet. So, you know, he's a good kid. He's not trying to keep things from his mom, but then his mom makes this deal like, you know, there's no way. There's no way I'm going to let you keep it. I remember the raccoon. And so then he is, you know, and of course the squirrel gets loose. And then by looking for the squirrel, he meets Dean, who's the super cool hipster artist played by Harry Connick Jr. Mm-hmm. So great. And he strikes a deal with Dean like, please, if you see the squirrel, uh, my mom won't let me keep it if if she if it gets into trouble and so, like, suddenly this guy he's never met before is, like, in this agreement with this kid. And we, and we also see Dean stick up for the kooky old man when he's like, I saw the invaders. And everybody's laughing at him. And Dean goes, I saw it, too. And the kid says, oh, that's really cool. You saw it, too? And he goes, I, I didn't yeah. see it. You know, if we don't stick up for the kooks, who will? And that's like, you get this guy now. He's super cool. But, man, he's one of those alpha males that sticks up for the little guy. He sticks up for the crazy people. He, you know, he's not too cool to stop and talk to a kid or to, you know, to really listen to somebody and see what they need. So and then and then the squirrel goes up the pants Mm -hmm. and and the mom walks up. So now he's like, it's this great kind of comedy where he has just made a pact with his kid that I will not get you in trouble so you can keep your squirrel pet. But now this pretty bratress is walking up. And so he's gritting his teeth and 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 acting like a psychopath (laughs) And then it's like, it goes places, This I was going to yeah. talk about the weird comedy in this movie. I mean, it is so enchanting and warm, but it also, I think, was way ahead of, ahead of its time in terms of comedy. Like comedy is now, now is going to kind of a weird place where weird is cool and uh, odd asides in Judd Apatow movies and even mm-hmm. stuff on YouTube that my kids are watching. And I watched this movie and it is just as weird and funny. Like when he's like, squirrels up my pants, Hogarth. it's it's crawling north it's crawling north and then he stands up and we literally have him i mean it's from the back but this guy literally unzips his pants and a squirrel comes out um that's in a movie you can take your kids to um so it's it's so funny that they would go there (laughs) and i think dean is is also he supplies us with a lot of the weird comedy uh which i'll get to later but just like little Mm -hmm. things where people are muttering at each other and stuff it's it's
0: very advanced um one, Some of the biggest laughs I get in this movie, though, have to come from when characters say the name Dean. Dean. When he introduces himself, Dean with his teeth. Tell me, the Dean. The giant later on. I, every time anybody says his name as an introduction, it That's makes great. me giggle. Um,
1: oh, man. Yeah, I should man. jump
2: ahead to, like, you know, the kid watches a scary movie, and uh, the old man is talking about invaders outside, and, and he then the kid sees some wreckage. He sees a... You know, we start to see like tractors and cars bit in half with with a literal bite in them. The giant eating metal Mm -hmm. is an interesting thing. I I would I would think at first, you know, he needs to consume power. But just this weird conceit that he like needs to eat metal and it and it puts bites in things. And so we immediately can visually track where the giant's been. And there's evidence of something weird. And and uh, so the kid, you know, obviously Hogarth has seen a scary movie. And so now he's he's out in the woods and we've already gotten, we still haven't seen the giant, man. It's like, it's like Jaws or E.T. Mm-hmm. Like, great filmmakers know how to make you wait. And they don't make you wait too long. But we get to see silhouettes. We get to see evidence of him. We're like, oh my mm-hmm. gosh, I can't wait to see. And, and, you know, I think I'd even seen him in the trailer and in the posters. But it still was such a great feeling True. to be like, how much of him are we going to see this time? So we, we'd seen those two eyeballs in the storm at the beginning, and, and then we did, they hide him in plain sight. Another one of my great favorite shots is the kid is in the foreground, and in the background we think we see just trees yes. and mountains and bumps. They're all black silhouettes. And then one of those lumps way in the background turns and it's a head, which has got to be 50 feet tall. So it's like all of a sudden his head turns and, and the, the eyes that glow, we suddenly see these eyes turn. So it's just, I love how they hit him in plain sight. And then he comes out of the darkness and walks right over the kid. And and we have that, you know, he, the kid, uh, Hogarth still doesn't talk to him. It's more of a monster movie moment. Um, and I, I just love that right from that, you know, he, he electrocutes himself because he's trying to eat metal. And the kid in desperation, you know, he saves squirrels. He saves raccoons. He's always wanted a pet. He sees this thing in Jeopardy. And we have this giant convenient on-off switch. I don't know if those are available at every uh, Transformer station. Uh, but it's a giant lever that says on-off. And so, you know, visual storytelling. And he pulls it down and he saves the giant. But then the giant kind of like passes out. And, and and they think he's dead and he wakes up. There, there's just a lot of great moments with his eyes where they can iris open. So while the kid's crawling all over him thinking he's dead. Those eyes, iris open, like right underneath him while he's standing on the, the giant's forehead. Um, but that, you know, he the giant is continually treated like a monster for the first 20 minutes of this film. And, and then we go right to the, uh, the kid at school and all his friends in the darkness while they're watching an educational film are having paranoid discussions. They're having, and I think we do this today, you hear stuff on the news, you hear your parents talking about it, you get the same opinion. Mm-hmm. The Russians are out to get us. The bomb is going to drop. And they're, they're watching a cheesy, like, vintage duck and cover. And cover. What do we do when <laughs> the bombs drop, kids? We duck under our desks, and we'll be fine.
1: That's right. And After the bomb drops, the only thing left standing will be the desk.
2: <laughs> right. Perfectly safe. Why mm-hmm. not? But I love that, 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 that film, while, while bombs are exploding... On the film, it's behind these kids with their intense faces talking about the thing in the woods. And it's probably a monster and they should kill it. And maybe it's from the Ruskies. And, you know, so it's almost like the, the war paranoia bleeding into uh, this thing in the woods. They're they're, they're connecting the dots. Mm. Uh, and then we meet Kent Mansley, who works for the government. Oh, my God! And uh, Christopher <laughs> McDonald, Shooter McGavin himself... Uh he's he's very funny in this and uh I love how he he calls Hogarth. this is running gag of him saying sport buddy kiddo hey tiger
1: Yeah man Kent man I have to gush about Kent Mansley for just a second because I have yeah. a theory that Shooter McGavin is probably the greatest uh comedic villain of all time and I feel like he probably got this role based upon how he was a shooter which um if you break down Shooter's character like he is just so driven to get this jacket and he thinks he's doing the right thing by being the best golfer and this guy's going to ruin you know everything about it but The thing that works so great about Kent is he really is trying to do the right thing. The movie sets up so well the fear that everybody has and the Ruskies and Sputnik and all those different things. And here comes Kent he's like, he wants to do the right thing. He just assumes in the paranoia. And that's what every great villain is, right? It's the one who believes that they're doing the right thing and that they're the hero of the story. And um, you see that echoed a lot in Syndrome, which... You know, uh, Bird did a little a little bit later on. And I, I just yeah. as soon as I heard that voice and the way that he would overreact to things, I was like, Yes, yes, this is exactly the villain this film needs.
2: Yeah, he, he totally believes in what he's doing and that it's the right the right thing. And I, I mm. love a great design on this too. He's got such a pointy nose, but when he looks right at you, it kind of disappears, it becomes a couple of nostrils. Yep. Uh it's it's fascinating to watch him move in three dimensions. Um And, you know, I didn't realize until I had heard the commentary that they talked about. They went through so many versions of how can we give this guy enough evidence that it's not just uh, a bear that's loose. It's not just a bunch of kids that blew up a tractor or a boat, like some evidence. But then the evidence there's not enough for him like to get the army to show up. Give him enough, but not quite enough. For, right. Yeah. And, and then it's such a great visual. He gets in his car and then uh, reveal that half his car has a bite out of it. And he's like, yeah. And they're like, it's clearly been done by something big. It, it there's When you see a bite out of a something, it, it has to be a phenomenon that's bigger than just a bear. But the moment he goes to get, um, you know, some of the workers in the woods that are that are there, some of the locals his car is gone. Like, it's gone seconds later. Here? So there's no evidence. <laughs> and yet, so it drives him the rest of the movie, but it doesn't give anybody else in the town anything to go on. It doesn't give the army reason to come. So he is, like, obsessed. And kind of like Hogarth, he's seen something he can't explain. So they're very similar in that way. And then I mm-hmm. love that, you know, they how, how do we tie everybody together? Well, Hogarth has a BB gun with his name on it, and can't and finds it. And then right at the, that opening diner scene, Mom says something about, I got to make ends meet. I got to work the late shift. We really need a renter for that extra room. So now we know So Kent can't rents the room. So now we got the government guy, the worst guy to be the renter looking for the iron giant. He's living in the kid's house. So it's mm-hmm. like the, the Kent Mansley is, is, is tied to Hogarth and Hogarth is tied to the giant. And all that stuff is just great. Um, that it all kind of naturally comes together. Um, and and then, uh, And then after we finally get the kid to meet the giant, we have some of those golden uh, E.T. moments, as I like to call them. Um, Two people that don't, two characters that don't even speak the same language um, get to know each other through nonverbal storytelling, through imitation of their body language. Um, You know, that giant on off switch that the giant just throws that switch from the power station at Hogarth's feet. And man, it's just genius because it's like you just see that and you know that the giant is saying, I know you saved my life. Um, I'm not dangerous. I I know you're the same kid. You know, like it just kind of connects them instantly. Mm -hmm. And then then they start imitating each other. And then he starts like finding out what the giant knows. And the giant goes from being a monster to kind of being a pet that the kid thinks he can control. And then we find out the giant's really smart and he's just kind of like another life form. When they're walking across train tracks and the giant's like, oh, I'm going to eat these train tracks. And here comes a train and, and Hogarth is like, you got to put them back together, put them back together. The giant instantly understands not only to put them back together, but he's kind of anal retentive about it. He won't, he won't <laughs> leave the track alone until it's perfect. He's like putting his eyeball down to the track and he's like lining <laughs> stuff up just right. And that's when the train just smashes into him. Um, so that kind of reveals a lot about his character while also blowing him to bits. And showing that he can put himself back together again. Yeah. You
0: know, which is cool to watch. Leading to some of the best lines in the whole movie in that scene. When he's put. hmm. When he's putting himself together? (laughs) Well, I mean, the, the, that scene when he, yeah, where he says grace. Oh, yeah. Is one of the best. Yeah.
1: Oh, my God. And oh, God. Him
0: on the toilet. And you, <laughs> that's why it's important to really chew your yeah, food. Yeah.
2: yeah. We get to that hand in the house, like the one piece that didn't yeah. get put together. He, the giant is in the barn, but his hand is roaming around in the house like a like a dog, like playing with the toilet paper in the bathroom. Uh, that's great that 's a great one of those. Mm-hmm. another one of those where one character has a secret and they 're desperately trying to hide it while they 're at the dinner table um, oh i have to I have to mention the two guys that were on the train when it wrecked, and Kent 's there interviewing them. I never knew this uh those two old guys uh are Frank and Ollie who are very famous. Uh, old school Disney animators. They're they're. I think it's the. They, they call them the old men. Oh uh, the old men who uh, animated at Disney that that started
1: Disney's old men. Old, old yeah, it's. Or I think it's
2: the the nine old men. Uh, like it that, might yeah. be. So
1: was it voice
2: or design? It was both. It is their. It is that's their voices amazing. and their likenesses. And apparently they were huge mentors to Brad Bird. And so he said I, I was very excited to get Man. Frank and Ollie sitting on the train tracks as the two train guys, and that's why you know obviously everybody in this from the extras onto the main characters look like they could lead their own movie but you know you sure. see those two guys with a train track and you're like wow they're really distinctly designed and that's why. Yeah. Um,
0: that's yeah. so cool. I did not know anyway, that. Anyway.
2: Um, oh and then so then we get to finally bringing Dean back because Dean owns a scrapyard. So Dean is the one guy that believes kooks. He's the one guy that would stick up for Hogarth in a weird situation and lo and behold he has a scrapyard and Iron Giant loves metal. It's just a great connection once again but he doesn't just own a scrapyard. he's a cool hipster who builds art out of the scrap too um and that's how yeah. dean kind of makes his peace with letting the giant stay there and hide there um and I, I found out that brad bird is he didn't animate a lot of shots uh but but the one where the the kid is drinking espresso espresso and he's talking a mile a minute uh brad a- animated that one he said, "That's the one I want." And <laughs> then later, he was like, "I made the worst mistake because it's the most lip sync in the whole movie." Um, right, <laughs> but very, very funny. Very. And and then, and when Dean, yeah. this is an example of the weird comedy in this movie. This is when I mean I was already on board, but I was really on board when Dean and and uh, Hogarth are sitting outside, and they've got they've stopped freaking out about the giant in the scrapyard. Like Dean has accepted this is a giant thing from space. And then Hogarth goes, well, I need some place where he can stay. And then Dean just like no expression on his face. He just calmly stands up, pours his coffee out, turns around, arms at his sides and just just calmly walks into his house and slams the door. And it just says 37 minutes later on on the title screen. And then the kid is still banging on the door. Come on. Come on. Like, But just the fact that like Dean just goes, nope, just stands up. And walk so it's it's a weird choice I gotta say it's mm-hmm. great it, it,
0: but all of that works because the animation is just done so lovingly that it just exudes expression I yeah
1: yeah yeah the beatnik neck character manages it, it 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 feels like it's perfectly his character and then you have you know the giant that has to just learn like oh you can't you can eat this on the side or you can eat the art, but you can't eat you, you can't eat the art but then when he pulls like the tree the metal tree out he's like Eh, not bad. Yeah, right. yeah. Nice. I can work with you. <laughs> I think that we
2: give a lot of credit to Harry Connick Jr. for some of those weird reads. That thing yes. that's in your mouth is art.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we had they we had at this point the scene where he meets up with the uh, the fisherman the second time. He's like towing his truck. We've had that scene, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I was struck this time. It didn't occur to me. So he sticks up for the kooks in public. But in private, he's like offering this gentle correction to him. So it's like, he's, I i, I don't know. I just <laughs> Why love did you do character that? Yeah. I, Man,
2: you know. are crazy.
0: But but he does it in a loving way. Like, come on, you got to, <laughs> you got to wake up here. You really want to say that to everybody? I i don't know. He's a great character. Yeah. And I, I know, I I know a few folks
1: at church like that. So it, it works. It works perfectly, you know? <laughs>
0: no, no. I like that. I, I think it just, I think mm-hmm. it speaks to his character. Right? I agree. I agree. The weird
2: comedy and the way these characters kind of um, are very natural and, and, I, th- I feel like the whole film is kind of ahead of the audience all the time, and that makes you kind of lean forward. Um, you, you know, we've seen these movies so many times. A Thing from Another World visits, the kid understands that the army doesn't. I mean, we've seen it before, but somehow it is fresh, and I just think it's in the execution of every scene, is that the characters inside each one of those scenes, you know, like, when the when the giant sits down with Hogarth, finally, to communicate, you're like, here we go, here's the meat. cute, here's the The giant thing from another world meets the childlike character, of the kid, but they still surprise you with how they do it. Little turns. Um, And I I think that that Brad Bird kept his kid hat on, as they say. He kept his kid goggles on of how would a kid react to a giant robot? Uh, Keeping that sense of wonder um, so that like it's not just about figuring out how the technology works or how he puts himself together, what planet he's from. It's like, Oh, could you pick up this car and fly it for me while I'm in the car? Could you make a flying car for me? Could you do a cannonball into this lake? Uh, you know, like oh all of gosh. that. And th- that's another great couple of steps of comedy. It's comedy, uh, comedy 101 there where that, when the iron giant does a cannonball into the lake and it creates that tidal wave. And Dean just looks up from his newspaper and he can't go anywhere, and it just washes over him. And then some, somehow, like they show like the road, and he, he ends up like just settling. You know, all the water floods and settles, right and he's still up. sitting yeah. in his chair. And then, uh like some guy pulls up and says, "Uh, hey," and he's like, "Yeah, uh, you're you're uh you're in the middle of the road." Yeah, like it's such a weird
1: reaction. Like like Dean right. is like, "I don't want to hear it." Um. Good stuff. <laughs> I love the newspaper on, on that he was reading at the time, because if you look at the headline, it says disaster scene as catastrophe looms. It's just the promise of exactly what's about to happen. In, yeah. in the so scene great.
0: and in the movie. And I think that's, that's the great double. Yes. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yep. All sorts of great little uh, setups and payoffs like that. Like even in the beginning, when Hogarth is watching that scary film, which by the way, the acting was <laughs> delightfully yeah. terrible. Like in that old Twilight Zone kind of way of like, "Darn, I must have left my keys right. back in the office." Like that whole like setup of like the brain and like that's going to be Hogarth and the Giants. And like, I love the little setups and payoffs all throughout this film. It just yeah, I, I, I
2: love the joke about Twilight Zone acting, uh, which Twilight Zone is great. But everybody talks <laughs> with grim, <laughs> ominous tones um, the well then the, you know about this time in the movie um, we have this beautiful scene where the giant sees a deer in the forest and mm-hmm. man you could you could frame that shot I think we all know the one I'm talking about it's a profile yeah. shot of the deer looking yeah. up and the, and the giant putting his finger down you know it's it's almost like a God and Adam thing where the finger is just yeah. touching this other little life below it and it. you could frame that and put it on a wall it was so beautiful and right after that, oh, my gosh, the hunters come through and they got to hide and they hear a gunshot. And now we have a discussion about death, which leads to a discussion later under the stars about a soul. And I remember the first time I saw this, like we are watching this animated genre film. You know, it's like a sci fi robot film. And we're talking about the soul and the nature of a soul and the nature of death. And like that is something, you know, a lot of kids are just starting to ask questions like this. Um, But it's swinging for the the Pixar fences, Mm -hmm. as I like to say, uh, tackling big issues.
1: It really is, too, because the thing that was so great about that sequence, and I think it was right after um, with the sequence with Kent and then he's in the bed, you can see the picture frame of his dad. Um, and it's kind of implied throughout the movie that, you know, his, the dad isn't around and it's more implied that he oh, died yeah. during the war mm-hmm. or of, of some, of some sort of military related thing. Um, the way that he explains to the giant what a soul is, as he mentions his mother and it's, he's literally explained to how his, his mother probably explained to him, his father's passing. Like, I and just, he's kind and
0: of being a father to the much. giant, Yeah, and such tenderness and um, that that That's scene true. to me is one of the best scenes in movie history. I, I, yeah, and, and, it,
2: and you know that the wheels are turning inside probably literally inside the giant's head because he doesn't know who he is he has amnesia mm-hmm. he has a dent on his head so he can't tell he can't even tell the kid who he is or where he came from mm-hmm. so he's a walking mystery to the kid and to himself and now he's thinking am I alive what, is, what does it mean to be alive um, and uh, and then you know in the barn this also is about the time that the kid uh, lays a bunch of comic books on him and that's a fun way for him to see like these scary images of this like killer robot on one cover and it triggers like these flashbacks and it it, it it gives him this feeling of like, wait a minute, is that me? Is that me? And then he also sees a cover of a Superman comic and it's amazing. They got the rights to Superman. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, I guess WB, right?
0: Right. Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah WB. That makes sense. Yeah.
2: Okay. But, but right, like, yeah. that's the guy you want to reference. I mean, that, I mean, and, and it's an aspirational figure. It's the best that he could be, and he is, uh, you know, the giant kind of gets obsessed with his image to the point where he, in the scrapyard, puts a giant S on his chest. And he doesn't say many words, but, but yep. Superman is one of those that, that one word, we now know that that word means, here are my hopes and dreams for myself. I don't know who I am, but I'd sure like to be this. And I, I don't, I can't remember if he says gun or not, but like, they're really simple words and really simple moments to say, am I a gun or am I Superman? <laughs> it's like right. the best and worst of what I could be.
1: You know, this is uh, this is a quick aside here, but in the in that moment in the movie when he says, "I am not a gun," I remembered something, and I ran over to my wall where the engagement picture that my yes! wife and I had at our wedding. That when guests came in, they got to autograph it. And, be- and Brendan was a groomsman in one of my weddings. I was oh, looking at you know in, in Love your you guys, wedding, congratulations. You know,
0: you know, you know what I mean. Uh, the, <laughs> you were up the my guests wedding. might um, not, the audience might not.
1: You're right. You're right. Brennan was one of my uh, several groomsmen in the wedding, and in, when people walked into the reception, there was this giant picture of my wife and I that we took in Arizona for our engagement photos, and people could write little messages of love. And if you look in the bottom right hand corner, and I'll send you the picture for this later, and I'll will post it in the show you notes do. as well. Somebody wrote, "You are not a gun, like Hogarth <laughs> Hughes," as one of the quotes. It, it, it was you, it Brennan. Was pretty, oh,
0: did you not know that? Oh, did you not oh, know that s- it was Seth?
1: The mystery <laughs> revealed.
0: I thought you said it to me oh, because you knew it was me. No, I thought it was Seth because he well, he no, tested the
1: Incredibles last season. I thought it was him. No, oh my gosh. That was me. I'm I'm
2: so glad I'm here for this moment.
0: I we're just bringing darkness into the light here. This is like great. Twenty minutes before we started, I thought you were. I thought we had had this conversation already. No, that was that.
1: Yeah. We never had this conversation. No. Oh, <laughs> wow. what
0: a wonderful time to find this out. Yeah, that was. Oh, uh, but that's
1: how I knew that he said gun was because that was on my engagement photo. Forever. Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> well, that, well, I but, believe but, it, what, Nick. I believe you are not a gun. Giant.
1: Yes, yes. You're, um, you're
0: not a guy. That's right. <laughs> that's great.
2: Oh, and so so let's see. Uh, what, what are we dealing with here? Oh, I wanted to point out like, um, where this film goes, where other films don't go. Animated films, kids films, family films. I, I, believe me, I have been noted to death on things that I've worked on where, where the producers are. This just shows that, that the studio wasn't really paying attention because they have a scene in this film where not only does this, this man interrogate this kid in a barn alone at night. He chloroforms him at the end of it.
0: Right, right,
2: yes. Like that. I mean, and the the director said we went through many versions of this where he ties him up and drags him to the barn, but that was a little ki- serial killer ish, you know, like you think. Um, <laughs> but but they still battles. chloro. He still chloroforms a kid. But I I think that that is what's important about Kent Mansley is that he is not the government. He is not the army, and. The filmmaker said we didn't want to vilify the army, and especially in the fifties, and the, a lot of the a lot of the people who are in the military who have seen this film are proud of the film and love that the the army at the last minute they say wait a minute, they give pause. Take but Kent, we make Kent a little mm-hmm. crazy. So this is the first glimpse of like he chloroformed a kid. He's willing to do things other people aren't, and he becomes maniacal by the end. So he is the guy that literally you know, jump into the end, but he grabs the walkie-talkie and says, fire the nuke, you know, or whatever he says. So mm-hmm. so it kind of takes the, the villain status off of the army. The army's misguided till the very end, and then they kind of have a turn along with the townspeople. Mm-hmm. Um, but another thing that Kent does that's so petty is he, he makes Hogarth, after he interrogates him, Hogarth wakes up in his bed, and Kent's on the phone with the government, and then Kent won't let him leave his room. So here's this man at home alone with this kid. Uh, and, and this kid has just met this man like a week ago. And now this man is sitting across the hallway from him. I think the, the, uh, the animators, they called the sequence the Battle of Wills. And so Kent they're going to stay up all night and stare at each other. And this is where a lot of films would get nervous and not spend as much time on the scene. But they spend like a couple of minutes just showing these two people staring at each other. And the kid mm-hmm. is in his bed with his helmet on and Kent's across the halls and they're just staring at each other. And we watch the time go by and we watch the lighting change. And finally, you know, if a kid wants to, a kid can outlast an adult when it comes to sleep. So then Kent wakes up and the kid's gone. And uh, yeah, oh, yeah. And, 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 and
0: I don't know any scene in a movie I find this interesting that still makes me sleepy.
2: Uh, <laughs> yeah, you really <laughs> feel it. And, uh, and that, I guess that's what, what is implied that Hogarth has enough time to warn Dean, to warn the giant. So that when the army shows up and they rush to Dean's scrapyard, the giant is disguised as this giant piece of art, uh, with, with other pieces all over him. And, and again, uh, it's kind of like E.T., you know, like E.T. and the Iron Giant, they're both are smart enough to know I've got to sit perfectly still and pretend I'm something else right now, um, and so it just <laughs> demoralizes and, and embarrasses Kent. Um, you know, and, and, and I think it, it's another one of those touch points between uh, I think the mom's name is Annie, mom and Dean, that there might be a little spark between them. Like mm-hmm. that, that She she kind of likes his art and she she may even believe that the giant is real at that point. They kind of give you a little bit of a look from her like the jury's out and. Um, and another thing I did not realize till I was listening to the filmmakers is that they purposefully, and you can see it, the film is very colorful. I, like, I love fall colors and the fall in general. And they start with very rich fall colors and a lot of color in, in Hogarth's wardrobe and the cars. And then at this point in the movie, as the army moves in, the film gets increasingly more and more monochromatic. The skies get grayer. The screens are filled more with army jackets and tanks. Um, so there's less and less color on the screen, and then by the end, when things ramp up, and like the giant is is he's fighting this instinct that is built in him to become this weapon, the skies start to get redder and redder because now the sun is going down, and yeah. at a certain point, the sky is just red behind him, and the and when 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 yeah. the army is yelling and Kent's yelling and the kid is missing and uh, the sky is just red, uh, I found that very interesting and and something that. Animation can do more than live action. You can go to more of a fantastical place in in lighting and
1: in color. Um, there's such a beauty in the film language there because you think of the moment that he fires, I guess it's the second time that he fires, and Dean yells at him, he's like, "Look what you almost said to Hogarth the yeah. second he realizes what he did, it starts to snow, and I don't know if it was um, Kurosawa that said it, but there's a there's a famous film theory phrase which sure. is if you want to change the emotion of something, just change the weather. oh and that wow, just that's does good it so beautifully right there that's good
2: yeah i love that i love that you brought up the snow because that I was honestly the next thing i was going to bring up is that that was another moment i remember in the yeah. theater going yeah. good choice i'm in yeah. good <laughs> hands here to see this monolithic gray robot walking through the snow which is such a mm-hmm. uh natural organic pretty thing it, it's just the the marriage of snow falling while a giant robot walks and 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 Brad Bird has said that's the scene where he wanted to make you feel like this was Frankenstein's monster. Just wandering the wilderness. Uh, no, no identity. No friends. He thinks, I believe at this point, he thinks he has killed Hogarth. Because they're flying around and they, and they fell. He fell or he uh, crashed uh, into the snow. Um, maybe that's a couple beats later. But I, I well, lo- yeah,
1: because you. So he has that shot where he fires in the junkyard, and then he goes and leaves, and you see the two boys from the watchtower. One of which, right. I believe, is Brad Bird's son. Yes. Um, oh, no,
0: I did that. Yeah. Either. and the-
1: yeah, see, he was the uh, the test for um, Hogarth throughout. I think it was just the sketching phase, and then they, you know, got the other actor to do it. But those two boys hanging from the watchtower, and then the giant comes to save him, and then that's when you know Kent gets that great—I don't want to say cathartic—scene where he's just like, "It is real. I told you all." And you have that mother <laughs> of God moment <laughs> from the general, and then they all get over there, and um, that's when when he's trying to save Hogarth when they start firing on him, and he learns that he can fly and put your arms out like Superman, and it's that crashing to earth moment. That's when he thinks that right. Hogarth has died. Yet another payoff to that beautiful setup with the deer sequence. Yes. yes. Oh, yes.
2: Because he he is touching the body of Hogarth, and even though Hogarth is just knocked out, Same. like the giant doesn't understand. Mm-hmm. Like he has been told when something goes limp, it's dead. And the acting that happens in that moment, man. Um, Yo, ap- yeah. Apparently, they when the giant thinks I have killed this boy, um, it's that's some good animated acting, and you know. It is a computer animated model, but it's keyframed, as they say, just like they would hand sure. draw. They, they've moved, they've moved this thing like kind of a, a marionette or a puppet. To, to uh, all the joints can move around, and you see that someone, uh, a real skilled animator, has done some things where the, the giant is on his knees. He's kind of looking at his hands,
0: quivering. Uh,
2: clearly, somebody took some um, some reference video. Uh, of somebody acting in in a moment of grief and and, and disbelief and he, he the, the subtleties of it he's shaking his head a little bit like he can't believe what he did he, he there's some self hatred in there mm-hmm. and he uh, man it, it, apparently it was storyboarded to be you know like 15 seconds and he said we spent a minute on this moment because the acting just it it, it needed it yeah. it just once once you really emote and start to move the character um, it was really effective and. You know that This is when, uh, also, I-, I think in this moment where things are ramping up, there's some more uh, uh, to jump out of the emotional parts and geek out about the animation. You see a lot of great tune shaded 3D models here. The fighter jets, a lot of cars and tanks and mm-hmm. army stuff is all 3D modeled. But again, seamlessly. It's all yeah. still painted with flat uh, tones just like the 2D. But something super satisfying about seeing those fighter jets and Iron Giant bank around, it's as effective as a scene out of Iron Man. There you Absolutely.
1: go. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, as a Marvel movie, as a, as a fight scene, you'd see in anything, um, you get the same dopamine rush that you get watching a live action uh, Marvel movie, action movie, what have you. So I, I just, they, they, you know, they they ran out of budget. They said on this climax where they wanted to bring in like submarines and another foot chase and, but you know, I think it's just Honestly, enough.
0: it's Just right where it's at. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I totally uh, agree. There was, I usually watch these movies with my wife because she, she had, doesn't have a great um, film library. She's seen like a lot of things. Uh, or She's seen a few movies a lot of times, but she hasn't go for many new movies. So she sat down and watched this one with me. And at that point in the movie, she goes, is this what Iron Man is based off of? And I probably, <laughs> probably, <laughs> probably, honey. I don't know.
0: <laughs> it is an
2: Iron Man. I don't it know what to tell
1: you. <laughs> uh, had she not
0: seen it
2: before?
1: She had not. No, she didn't even know what it was. And she thought I hadn't seen it either. So by the time like I turned to her and I got tears in my eyes, she's like, Oh, it's good. It's good. <laughs> uh, that's great.
0: That's yeah. great.
2: Well, then when he goes into gun mode, you know, you don't want to see it happen, but yeah. it is super cool. He uh, is scary. Like, he goes, you think it's just going to be like guns come out of his arms or something or lightning shoots out of his eyes, but like yeah the
0: tentacles yeah and he becomes a different shape and yeah. every one of those weapons mm-hmm. operates in such a weird crate like I, I i whatever that thing is is punching down on the spinning disc i mean
2: yeah the spinning disc and then these little needles go beep, 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 so on top of it and
1: great the thing that makes the tank disappear it's just like okay so he is a pretty big threat and it's definitely not the skis at this point yeah
2: yeah it's hard It's hard to not understand the army wanting to nuke it.
0: Yeah, <laughs> given the circumstances. The te-
1: yeah,
2: I mean, like the tentacles, when they come out, it's very War of the Worlds. Um, mm-hmm. and, yes. and that's, uh, yeah, so you start to like understand the army's uh, problem with it, and they ready the nuke. And then uh, again, I think it's really effective that they give a moment's pause because they see the kid talk the giant down. I can't remember how it happens. It happens so quickly that Kent is so enraged that, that, that finally everybody believes him and now they're all going to wimp out. And he grabs that walkie talkie and says, launch the nuke. But that is also at the time when Hogarth is, he has his big speech. You are not a gun. You are who you choose to be. Again, some of the same lines, but now paid off in a big emotional way. He's giving the speech, literally standing in the barrel of a giant 50 foot gun. Like, the gun barrel is, like, on top of this kid. Um, and I think that the first time you see it, I'm trying to remember, there is a moment... I mean, you know you're going to see a movie with a happy ending, but there's a moment where it's like, is this giant too far gone? Is We can't even really make out his face anymore. Um, so mm-hmm. he does get through to him, obviously, but not, until, but not until after the nuke has been launched. So now, like, the town is on his side. The... Armies on his side can't basically i don't know if he gets arrested but he like he tries to steal a car and take off
1: and they grab him and so he yeah screw the country yeah. and he right, hits right. The car he, and gets crashed into the hand right, right. away Right, so he
2: not only saves the town he saves the army you know but also ultimately he's saving his his friend this kid but but i love the overhead shot looking over the the giant shoulder and he's looking down at these ants these tiny people but he mm. understands i've gotten to know this one kid all of these people have lives. All of these people are just like this kid. And that's when he makes that decision, this true decision of, you know, you stay, mm-hmm. I go, no following. Yeah. So oh, it's one chills,
1: of, like, I will say man. this. You mentioned that you you always know you're going to get a happy ending. This was like one of maybe two times ever. The other time was Toy Story 3 where I was – we're in, a, in that moment when he says we're all going to die. I was yeah. like, Oh. Oh, it's that kind of movie? They're going to try to teach us something? Oh, oh no, 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 I didn't want this. Don't teach us anything. Like the I don't the want to be taught. 3, I'm just like, oh, no, they're going oh, to I don't want to eat my vegetables. Yeah. I want candy.
2: Yeah. Uh, but you yes, know what? Exactly. You know what's funny is like, I don't like sad, melancholy endings. I don't like deaths where they don't, you know, like, like, uh, like it has to happen this way. And, and, but, but when it's done right and you realize and you really earn it. Only, it's yeah, you earn it, and it's the only way this movie could, could end. I mean, Doctor Who has a lot of stories. If I can Doctor Who geek out for a second, they have a lot of heartbreaking stories in that series where somebody has to die, or somebody has to be frozen for a thousand years, or somebody has to say goodbye forever because it will save the other person, or it is the end of that character's arc or their journey. So there are a lot, there's a lot of great sci-fi and fantasy that that mm. under well in any movie where the the circumstances are so heightened. That you're like, yes, the end of this character's journey has to be a sacrifice. And we kind of, Mm. you know, it's like E.T. Not as big as E.T. coming back. But we get a resurrection at the very, very end so that we leave the theater feeling hope. And I know a bunch of people are like, uh, you know, I'm sure there's millions of kids and fans of this movie that want an Iron Giant sequel. I, I may be one of them. But if it never, if there's never a sequel, if we never know what happened after that last frame, we get our death, we get our sacrifice, which is oddly satisfying, even though it's sad. Very cathartic. Yeah. And then and then to see uh, I'll jump ahead to the end in a second, but like to, to, to see this statue in the town square months later, which really says the town loves him. The town saw him as a hero. So he went out with people thinking of him as Superman, not as a gun. Um, he finally pulled it off. His legacy is he is Superman to these people. And uh, we, I I love the other little touch that they didn't have to do this, but they show Hogarth wrestling with a bunch of the kids that kind of, I thought were bullies at first. So Hogarth, Hogarth has, he has evolved from (laughs) befriending robots and squirrels to actual people. Like he has a group of friends. It looks like now, and that's a big step for a lot of like uh, gifted kids or, or, or single parent kids or kids that, that isolate themselves they can suddenly isolate themselves so far that they, they don't know how to make real friends. Um, and so I, I thought that was kind of a cool,
1: uh, uh, distinct decision by the filmmakers. Um, yeah, even but, little Hogarth gets an arc at the end, you know. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> and,
2: and then there's that little blinking, uh, you know, we get that. Oh, I got to go back to the Christmas card moment. I had forgotten until I watched it again this week. That, uh, moment. that when the giant sacrifices himself and blows up with a nuclear blast, we pull back just as night. OK, it's been like red sky sunset, but now it's night. And as we pull back, that nuclear explosion becomes like this twinkling like star, a uh, uh, Christmas Bethlehem. star. Yes.
1: Yes. Oh, my oh, God. Star
2: yeah, of Bethlehem. Yeah, yeah. And and it's snowing and Dean and Annie and the kid, they all kind of hug each other. And it becomes like this Christmas card moment. With I don't know that they released it at Christmas, though. I can't, I think it was summer. So it was interesting. But but Brad Bird said, I wanted to create this Christmas card moment with the Star of Bethlehem and them looking up. And like, that's very, and he just did a very Christic thing. So
1: good for them. Yeah. Um, uh, July 31st, 99 was when it was released. And then it came on to DVD November 23rd, 99. Okay. July, July. Okay. Yeah.
2: Um, we had Christmas in July then in that moment. Oh, my gosh. <laughs>
1: but then he gets that
2: little jaw screw that and, and uh, that just that it starts to blink. We've seen, again, visual storytelling. We've seen that when pieces of him start to blink with that blue light, we know he's in repair mode. We know that all pieces, no matter how small, no matter how far away, are drawn to each other. And just to see that blue light, the kid doesn't want to keep the screw as a memento. He opens the window. He's like, I think he even says, see you soon.
1: Mm-hmm. I think he says goodbye.
2: Yeah. I don't know. I was I was clicking between the commentary and the and the audio this It's week. something
0: like uh it's not a totality totality of goodbye. It's a something well, either like way, it, or in gone. that moment
1: you I I don't know about anybody else, but in that moment, like I had for as a kid, like I forgot that that is what had occurred. I forgot that he could put himself together. So when it starts blinking, you're like, oh, right. That sudden, yeah. well, it
2: happened. It happened like an hour ago in the movie. Really? It's, yeah, it's it's long enough ago. And that's what's great is that you do forget. And when that bomb goes off, I mean, some people have said I heard on the commentary. They were like, we really debated, like, why doesn't he become a gun? Why doesn't as he flies up to stop the nuke? Why doesn't he pull out all his weapons and blast it? Um, and I had never thought of That's that before. That's never occurred to me. Um, I think that you're... <laughs> Wrong lesson. Yeah, I mean, you could logic pick that, but I think you're so emotionally caught up in that moment. And the director said, we finally decided that he would never want to go out that way as a gun. He wants to go out as Superman, and he wants to yeah. do this as a sacrifice on his own terms. So it's a, it, and I think emotionally we're all so in it at that point that I never thought of that. So... That's the problem with making an animated movie is that you have like three years to think about every moment and and you forget that the audience is going to be experiencing this in real time once and then maybe two or three other times. But when people make these movies and producers make notes as they watch the dailies, like you're watching the same moments like 50 times and you and, and I think there's this tendency to just not leave things alone and not remember why they were genuinely spontaneous ideas to begin with like a joke is genuinely Mm -hmm. funny uh i've had somebody like a year later go is this joke funny and i'm like yes it is it is funny you've just heard it 50 (laughs) times but it is funny um you know that's uh, my experience as a stand-up comic for so many years i am typically telling a joke that's 10 years old (laughs) sure but i know it works and i am faking it on stage and I am telling it as if it's the first time it's occurred to me to tell you this. And so I'm kind of chuckling as I'm saying it. And, 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 it, and the alchemy works every time. So, so I take that into like filmmaking when, when there's a producer who's getting restless. And they go, ah, is this really the saddest moment? Or is this really the funniest joke? I'm like, remember where we were when we all thought of this idea. And that's 90% of a, a director's job is just reminding everybody of the same things sure. over and over and being consistent. Um, but that blinking screw, we see that it actually, literally, is headed to a glacier in Iceland. I, and I don't know why that is cool and mysterious. It's very Captain America, like everything gets preserved in ice or something. Like, I don't know how he survived a nuclear blast, but I guess if he pops apart in pieces, that, that you know, that's a good fail safe. That like upon the first impact of anything, <laughs> you know, you abandon ship. Your arms and legs pop off, and you save yourself. Well,
1: that was my first thought. Was you know, it was in Iceland. It's like, oh, it's kind of his fortress of solitude, and way Superman had one. I said, yes.
2: Oh, oh yes.
0: He's, oh, that's good. That's
2: good. We should all fan fiction write our own sequel. I think Hogarth is. Uh, I think he's a teenager in the sequel. I think he's. Uh, he's on a he's on a family vacation. You know, get out of town, make it a new locale. Uh, maybe they're going somewhere cold and, and he has decided to, he's gonna go on a road trip to find the Iron Giant. Maybe the Iron Giant is on his way to find oh, Hogarth. Man. It's, it's
1: gotta be something like, you know, <laughs> Dean and Annie are, are getting married and Hogarth is, is reluctant to let yeah. his father go. And so then there's the honeymoon and they're gonna go someplace cool and like Hogarth tags along <laughs> and then somewhere yeah. along the way, like, cause let's see, the Cold War would have been kind of over with, the space program's kinda like ramping up. There would have been maybe like Cuban Missile yes. Crisis in, stuff. In the 60s. Well, I know, I'm thinking a couple of years ahead here. But I mean she does call him honey towards the end, so Yeah, there's there's got to be that whole. I think that'd be like the theme that they'd run with. is something about letting his dad go and like accepting Dean as his new father figure. And yeah, yeah, yeah. He
2: hikes. Okay, the Iron Giant repairs himself. He kind of has a Fortress of Solitude. I like that. And then he's hiking towards the warmer climates to find the people again and to find Hogarth. And he steps onto like an ice flow or an iceberg, and it breaks off. And now he's just like. Then you have like this massive scene of him just sitting on an iceberg, like floating, uh, (laughs) kind of bored, floating in the ocean. And waiting for the next uh, person to notice him. Oh, uh, love yeah, it. I love maybe he's like maybe he ends up on the on the the the, the coast of Africa or something. And then we have like a, you got to like get him out international now. That's right. You gotta yeah. have him running <laughs> running past the pyramids or something.
1: <laughs> the widest audience possible. I like that.
2: Yeah. Oh, I will say I will say this before we wrap it up. Like, if you are a total geek for this movie, I do highly recommend the signature edition. You don't have to get. The big box set that I got. If you get the big
0: box set, just the one from 2017, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, it's about 2017 that I got it. It has a beautiful hardcover, like picture book of like glossy pictures from the movie. It has some art cards that are—they're not posters. They're like if you think of like a giant postcard, like um, so they're like art cards yeah. from the movie of different artists doing uh, Iron Giant posters. And it's got a little mini figurine that's about uh, I don't know—it's like five inches tall. So it's got a lot of cool stuff in it, but. I know right now, because I looked it up, you can go to Walmart and get the signature Blu-ray right now for 11 bucks, And what it has in it is it has the theatrical cut of the film, but then it also has the signature edition and the director's commentary along with, uh, I think, his uh, animation or his story uh, editor. And um, it just has a bunch of people on the commentary track, so it gives you all those fun facts that I've been giving you. But... Coolest thing on the signature edition is there are uh, uh scenes they cut out of the movie, and the yes, those are so good. And The coolest one is that Iron Giant has a dream. What
0: he's having like this electronic dream it's cool. while he's have you seen it? He's uh, I so while you were talking about this like an hour ago, I looked up because I thought I had bought it, yeah, and it turns out I had and I remembered it only because I was thinking about that scene, when yeah.
2: You were talking about it. It, he has a dream while well, Dean is asleep. I don't have to tell you the whole scene, but Dean is asleep. And then out in the junkyard, the giant is asleep. And there's something going on with the TV antenna or something in Dean's house. But the giant starts to twitch and have these dreams. So he dreams of his life as a gun. And there's one, there's a futuristic city. There's a moment where you see like a 100 iron giants marching as an army. So I feel like that has to be in the sequel. I feel like there needs to be some payoff where wherever the iron giant came from, uh, those people are coming to look for him. Like, where did you crash? You're an expensive piece of equipment. You're a weapon. So maybe you see like a squad of like 10 other Iron Giants land. And then we got a giant battle. I don't know.
1: Oh, man. They would do like, I could see them doing like the bad 90s sequel where it's just like the Iron Giant meets the Iron Lady. And then like there's an Iron like, Lady Iron Giant that he has to fall in love with. And somehow that reflects yeah. like Hogarth's journey into adulthood. Like, yeah, they would do something like that. Yeah. Well, no, there's a red today. giant.
2: There's a wolf giant. There's a... Yeah. There's, <laughs> there's <laughs> a <laughs> yeah. There's a cyclops giant. Collect them
1: all. Oh, I can see the Burger <laughs> King toys <laughs> the now. McDonald's, I'm yeah. happy. Meals. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, and, and it really freaks me out to think where he came from because I love that they never explain it. There's not mm-hmm. a lot of gobbledygook. There's no scientist uh, with the army who goes, oh, we found this signal and we traced it to Alpha Centauri where the, you know, like <laughs> none of that. None of that. I don't want to know. I don't want to. Right. Right. I don't want to know about you know where Mary Poppins comes from or where. I don't want to go to ET's planet. Uh. So so it's it's great, but it does make the mind boggle to think they didn't create themselves. So there's some species or some race that that made him, and I wonder where they are and what who they are. That's fun to think about.
1: Yes, it is. Yes, indeed. Oh,
2: Brendan so
1: that's Kim's why I, I love it. Moment or? Who's got a favorite moment from the film? Man,
0: well, I mean, the moment that I it makes me cry like a baby every time is the best part of the movie. Mm. I think. Yeah, <laughs> I think you're right. That which one? Both because I think the movie at the end when he's he's when he says Superman, Superman is done. Sure. Superman. Well, I I, I want... and part of it's also because I'm a huge Superman nerd. Ooh. <laughs> combined with the fact that this character is so well developed. And you love him so much. Now, so okay, listeners can't read the see this, but I pulled this up while we were talking. I'm trying, big uh, alternate movie screen poster fan uh-huh. here, and I think it's come up in the podcast. But I'm trying to convince my wife that we need this poster. Oh yeah, oh yeah, anxiety. I've seen that one. And Superman oh, reflected in the water.
2: Superman reflected in the water. That's sweet.
0: Yeah, he's down below. Yeah, so that's that's the. It came out about two three weeks ago so i've been having that conversation with the wife you're dropping you're Jeez. dropping all
2: those hints thanks think, is your birthday coming up is that what you said yeah
0: <laughs> in her mind it's it's we've probably bought enough screen print posters in the last year We're running out of wall yeah. space but but we don't have an iron Ah, uh, with superman on that's it. beautiful <laughs> so no that's beautiful yeah i don't know how about you guys you got a favorite moment Gosh. well I, I
2: i go between the superman when he says superman or you stay, I go, no following. I'm not sure which one yeah. chokes me up more. I think may-
0: To me those are all the yeah. same moments yeah. though. I mean, yeah, it's, it's such a yeah. I it all I yeah, feel
2: like when so the good. giant meets the deer in the forest is it feels like it's out of Bambi, mm-hmm. but then there's a robot in it. Mm-hmm. I I
1: I love that one. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's like the anti Bambi moment in a way. But well I guess yeah. it's it's a lot like it, I suppose. But no, I, I would agree with you, Brennan. It's the for me it's the I stay you or I go, you stay. No following. Just, oh,
0: mm-hmm. beautiful, Good. beautiful. That That's well, – it's just – I don't know. And I, I've been proselytizing this movie to everybody I know for about a decade and a half now, and it's just <laughs> – I don't know. Any movie that you can show to kids that – and you've touched on all this, but it's just – it's such a special movie that touches on death. I reminded that, that G.K. Chesterton quote about dragons that – We don't tell fairy tales to our kids to teach them the dragons exist. We tell them to our kids so that they know the dragons can be defeated. Oh, wow. And it's like all these kids know these are things that the world is hard and difficult. And this is such a great movie to show you. Yes, it is hard and it's difficult, but it's beautiful and it's worth it. And there's the self-sacrifice and the facing death and souls don't die. It's just it has everything in it. You could ever want to be a perfect children's movie, all while being extremely entertaining and funny from beginning to end.
2: Well, yeah, I think you could show this to anybody of any age with confidence. If somebody says, let's have a movie night and they haven't seen this film. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, you know, you feel like, oh, maybe this is just my taste or maybe it's it's a weird. It's like a gross out comedy. And I love those or airplane comedy. uh, I love horror films, but they don't. I think you could put this in front of anybody from your grandparents to a little kid and they would be transfixed by it and i th- I, I don't see i think what could, makes it so yeah. culturally exciting still is that it didn't get its due in theaters it was kind of a best kept secret the people mm. that saw it as like i say are like evangelists for this movie so it's a great mm-hmm. thing that people keep discovering you know kind of in spite of its lack of success at the box office kind of like office yeah. space you know it it bombed at the box office and that mm. made it this the secret that everybody wanted to get in on when they discovered it. So Absolutely. I feel
1: like it's
0: one of those. Yeah, man, totally agree. I, well, shoot, that was an excellent. So question. glad Whew. you picked this movie. I, yeah, man. Yeah, it's got. I, oh. I think I don't as I said, but there. I think when my two oldest kids are the youngest, this is the movie that played the most in our house. I've seen this so many times. And it just doesn't get old. I still sit down yeah. and watch it every time the kid turns it on, pops the disc in the player.
2: So Well, good. and I had a great experience this week because I had not seen it in a while. So mm-hmm. it was fresh to me again. And I, like, like Raiders of the yeah. Lost Ark, I literally had to stop watching it because I had I memorized <laughs> every shot and every right. line. Right. <laughs> and now I'm just kind of listening to it like a pop song. And then he gets the whip. And then he's like, duck. And then he's like, and she's in the and she's in the basket, and the monkey goes
1: kaka. Uh,
2: yeah, like you you start to like flatline. So this sure. movie, I had I, yeah, I kind of got obsessed about it for a while, and now it's been a few years. And so when you guys ask me what do you want to talk about, it, as you know, it was between like four four films,
0: four amazing. But man,
2: films. I'm glad. I the moment I
0: put this on and watched it, I was like, yep, yep, this is the one. So okay, hold on. Can we, What were those four films again? Just because. I remember them being as good as they could get. You had uh, a Gal- Galaxi-
2: Galaxi- galaxy, galaxy quest? quest. Yes. Boy, I, I, I sound like I'm drunk. Galaxy quest was one of them. <laughs> um, I cannot stop talking about how great that film is. Um, it's, Naus- it's, a, it's Na- a perfect movie. Nausicaa, mm-hmm. uh, is a Miyazaki film that very few people know about that I run into. So I love to tell about that one. It's like Miyazaki's star Wars. It's, Yep. It's different than his. It's more Western than his other films, and I, sure, you know, sure. I, I, I just, I, I love it. My, my kid when he was five years old declared it his favorite
0: movie, which is a lot for us kind of a slow pacing Miyazaki movie right now. So is I, it I'm really? telling you, you listed yeah. these movies, you're listing the movies that I've been indoctrinating my family in. Like we watched uh, Galaxy Quest a month and a half ago, <laughs> so you listed yeah. three movies that are on our house.
2: Well, what? and I think my my fourth one I picked was uh, Aliens, which is a huge popular movie, but I just wanted to talk about why sure. it was amazing that it doubled down on the original as a totally different genre. And what it did for action movies for the next three decades. So that's right. Uh, I remember, and was, I just love that yeah. movie.
0: Uh, it, yeah, and, and that was the other thing. I'm a huge alien fan. So yeah. So uh, what I'm saying is basically, anytime you want to come on the podcast and talk about any movie, we can bro out. You're Absolutely. welcome. <laughs> <laughs> bro, <laughs> great.
1: Love it. All right. So for our first game, I'm gonna have you pick between uh, the number one and the number six hundred and forty-three. Ooh, this is me. I'm doing this. Yeah, you. Oh, yes, I'm going to say 245. 245. All right. This is an actual number of something. So, yes, 643 people who worked on this okay. film. And you said number 245, yep. uh, which is the animation checker, and his name is Daryl. Let's see here. I'm loading it up right now. Daryl Karstensen. Carstensen? Who worked on this film. He is still going he worked on oh my gosh so he was in the animation department here it says his his credit that he got was animation checker let's see Daryl's worked on the secret of nim and osmosis jones oh, yeah. and cast on jans and space oh space jam was another warner brothers animation yeah. along with um, Quest for Camelot, that was the other one. Oh yeah. Uh, so he yeah, did Swan yeah. Princess, Last Action Hero, Fern Gully, Dragon's Lair 2. Oh my gosh. Daryl, you've had a great career, good <laughs> sir.
2: Shout out to you, Daryl.
1: His first credit was Lord of the Rings as a Xerox wow. checker. Whoa. <laughs> oh, the animated Ralph Bakshi version? From yes, 1978. He, uh, he was a cell painter in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh, he did uh, wow. Land Before Time, All Dogs Go to Heaven, Prince and the Popper. Shout out to you, Daryl. Dangerfield. You rule Daryl. Yeah. Yeah. Daryl, honestly, dude, you helped make Darryl, this movie awesome. Daryl, Daryl, like, you're not 245 thank
2: you, thank you. in my book. You're number
1: one. <laughs> you're number <laughs> one, baby. Um, let's see. Is he's, It looks like he's did a couple things, directing and writing. It looks like he's been out of work for a little bit. But Daryl, wherever you are, man, we hope that you are happy. You have an amazing career that you can look back on. Thank you, thank you for working on the Iron John. Yeah. Good Amen. sir. Thank you.
0: Good on you, Daryl. Right. Did you ever right. find out what that other movie was?
2: I didn't. I didn't. It was some incredibly violent sci-fi That's... film um that i'm i'm sorry <laughs> tomorrow we were trying to you, you you challenged me to defend movies i hate or say one good so, thing well, about them
0: well that's the that's yeah so normally yeah. we have three movies but we're oh just okay i got another two. one oh, you got another one, please
2: okay me. okay i got three i i got my three i'm ready all right yeah go ahead
0: pick a number 1 through 3 now
2: oh this is a lot easier, yeah, uh, a lot fewer, easier. Numbers.
0: Um, fewer numbers um numbers i'm going to go straight down the middle with number 2 all righty. if you could Say something nice about say something Indiana nice. Jones and the Crystal Skull. Oh boy, nice.
2: we went with Indy Four. There's a lot <laughs> of hate for this movie. Let me see. Let me buckle down here. You know what? I understand the haters. I understand. It's got some cuckoo nutty stuff in it. Some bad decisions were made. I will say the the uh, the truck chase through the jungle. Spielberg on his worst day does great action sequences. So that that chase through the jungle where they're jumping from truck to jeep to truck, and yes, there's some swimming swinging oh, the monkeys. There's some swinging through the trees with monkeys. But Towards before jungle, that, yeah. when it's you know I'm, I'm even down for Shia LaBeouf uh, sword fighting with somebody across. Uh, you know, it, it just has a lot of great cause and effect stuff in mm-hmm. it. And then also, uh, I'd say the first opening sequence is is great when it would. I, some people don't like Nuke in the Fridge. but you know, I liked uh I liked the fight scene in the warehouse. That that was some good
1: chaotic stuff. You're not gonna get any arguments
0: hey, from the Hey the fridge here.
1: it was an homage to Back to the Future, so yeah, I will I, blend, uh, I you know. I've
0: had friends not like me very much because I really enjoy <laughs> Crystal Skull. Yeah. I, There's parts I, to like about it. It's got some weird decisions, but uh I I think I like it more than Temple of Doom.
1: Yeah. Hey, we, we are famous for unapologetically loving The Last Jedi, directed by. Hey, Ray I love Venus that one Johnson, too. I love that. Yes. I, 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 as a matter
2: of fact, yes. I did a podcast like this where I talked for an hour about that movie and yes. all the things oh. I loved about it. So, And you know what? You can love The Last Jedi and you can love The Rise of Skywalker. You can love them both, you bipartisan brained mm. people out there. It's all good. <laughs> it's just different channels, it's different flavors of ice cream.
1: Come on. Amen. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad you said that. Cause like when, and I'll, I'll just do this little side here, which is when we saw the uh, rise of the Skywalker, I took my what wife to story. see it and she had seen the original trilogy and said, I mean, it's fine. Like that was her review. <laughs> um, and so she had not, she saw, she didn't see the force awakens. She didn't see the last Jedi, but I went to go see the um, rise of the Skywalker with a friend and she wanted to come along. And, and right when the credits started rolling, I'm sitting there I'm just like, ah, oh, a little disappointed. And she goes, that was awesome. <laughs> and I turned around. I was like, what? And she goes that was so good can we see it again i was like uh, uh, yeah she's like we, uh, are there are there more can we watch them all in a row and like we ran home Wow. and we put on like the force awakens and she's like well, let's watch that's the next cool one i, I ran to redbox and bought the last jedi and um, so that movie hook, was the same it Star hooked Wars her in you got to have a special place in your heart yeah. for it now i do i absolutely do cuz like that's the one that brought her <laughs> yeah. in. so so for that i'm good yeah going it's
2: for. the one that has a 6 foot uh, space slug on the millennium falcon
1: Whoever he was. Right, right. <laughs> that that thing. Yeah. we try not to think about that too much. Um, but yes, okay. So just before we wrap up, I wanted to ask, um, and I don't know if I'm out of school here, but can you give us any updates on what you're working on? I, you had talked to us about Wish a long time ago. Uh, no Way, Jose, can you give us anything about what you're working yes. on Yes, right well, uh,
2: the, the most recent thing that is out that I can tell you to go watch is a movie called Fearless, which is a movie I made mm-hmm. uh, a little while ago, and it is got some sci-fi in it it's got some superheroes in it and it's got some gamer stuff in it it's all animated feature on netflix you can get that only on netflix Sweet. um and it has uh space babies in it it's got a lot of stuff in it um <laughs> and then um you know what i'm I, I i suppose i can give a shout out to the wing saga um i've been working with that team uh on in various capacities uh, just i was part of a story group recently uh, the Wingfeather saga is a series of fantasy books written by andrew peterson and we were trying to turn it into a feature which i was writing on for a long long time but now it looks like it's going to be a uh, a series and it's animated and it's gonna be super cool so uh it was one of those where, where people could invest uh and and help help fund it and now it's funded
1: season one so look for the Wingfeather saga nice. Uh, awesome we'll put that in the show and notes that's, do you feel like that's where everything's kind of going from just movies to straight to series now I'm you excited about new models or, or funding
2: because for a long time we've had a lot of people with all the money and it, and it has taken a huge amount of money and a huge amount of people to make movies and shows and now mm-hmm. I mean I can't say enough good about The Chosen that was uh, Angel Studios Yes. Self-funded uh, or funded by the audience. Uh, it, it's kind of a crowdfunding model, but you're also investing in the show itself. And that's what Wingfeather is doing through the <laughs> same people. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I think models need to change. And what I'm excited about, about things like The Chosen and Wingfeather is that is that they're distributing it directly to the people. Like you don't even have to go subscribe to a streamer service. It's you can just get the app mm-hmm. free on your phone and watch the show um That's so amazing.
0: i i think that things things are got we to need, change like that we'll, we'll, yeah. we need to link all this stuff so let's get links and we'll, we'll definitely...
1: yeah i'll get on the show notes for sure yeah Great. and let me get, be clear i don't even know if, I, I don't
2: know if i'm gonna write on the series or not i just i've been part of kind of the story group and i, I just want to give them a shout out sweet um, but still yeah. fearless is coming out uh it's out on netflix and then uh i think the only other thing i can talk about is um I don't, I can't talk about that yet, but, um, (laughs) I'm, I'm hoping to start my next film very, very soon. And, um, you know, it has everything that I love in it. Uh, science fiction, comedy is all I'll say. Uh, it's a labor of love for many years that I'm trying to get made. And, uh, so that, that, and some other shows I'm pitching, and there's a lot of fun stuff coming up that, that hopefully, if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at real Corey Edwards on Twitter. And you can also go to Corey Edwards.com C O R Y. There's no E in that first name coreyedwards.com and i still i don't know if people still blog but every once in a while i put a blog on there i read a man and excellent writing absolutely ah and there you go
1: there you go yeah. so that's where you can reach me awesome well we always like to end our show with uh this final question which is what are you consuming in media these days uh books video games um Movies, TV shows, different forms of entertainment, board games even we've talked about in the past. So um, are there any things or anything's right now that you are just really enjoying that you just think you, you just you can't wait to tell other people about or that uh, you're just loving yeah. at the moment?
2: Awesome. OK, um, let me see. I'll, I'll, what is fresh in my brain right now? Well, it's easy to answer the video games question. Not really anything uh my my kids go nuts for video games they love video games there's smash brothers on in my house all the time it's a good thing but it 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 (laughs) just even watching it stresses me out so um
0: smash brothers is how we're friends for the record
2: (laughs) it's true that's how we met yep
1: yeah
2: but on the game front uh i really love me some boggle and some Bananagrams. i can probably play those into the night and then uh uh, let's see uh, Shows that I am excited about My wife and I are really getting into Counterpart uh, Which is not a new show But it's on Amazon Prime And if you like J.K. Simmons You get to see two of him
0: Oh right I, That looked good
2: That's all I will say It has a science fiction conceit But it's really more of a conspiracy thriller Kind of a show And right. then um, awesome um loving loki loving the series loki yep. that's one i can watch with my kids that's one we're we'll gonna watch right after we get off here that's on disney plus <laughs> and also on disney plus so far so good is uh the mysterious benedict society um it it is beautiful art direction great cast of kids and actors very quirky i call it wes anderson for kids excellent um, that's a ringing endorsement so that's on disney that's plus as well language. um yeah. yeah so that's it and um you know I don't know. I, I read one book a year. I'm, I'm ashamed to say, so I'm still working on that.
0: <laughs> How Excellent. about you, Nick? Very good.
1: Um, so right now, I'm I, you know the quest continues to finish all 31 seasons of The Simpsons, and I'm on season 27 <laughs> now, just about done with it. Um, the dip and qual- the I think where was I? Because last time I talked about it, like there was that the dip that everyone speaks of after season 12, and then man, it just right when it gets back to season 22, I don't know if there was a new showrunner or what, but man, it's just there. There have been lots of good jokes and. <laughs> Um, I've, I've really actually been enjoying it quite a bit, um, which is funny because it was banned in my house growing up. So Uh mine too, uh, still still working, still working through that quest. Um, let's see. I've been listening to this book about fantasy fiction writing, uh, by Deborah Chessing, who taught, um, Jim Butcher, who did the, um, oh my gosh, my little brother's going to kill me for not Dresden Files. Um, I'm reading a book on just like authoring and what that's all about. And, um, Gosh, I read the strangest comic book series called Shirtless Bear Fighter, which is not for <laughs> which is not for anybody who listens to this show. Uh, <laughs> it's more for the adult swim crowd, uh, which I wasn't expecting. There was a spec sale called Cocaine Bear that was sold, I think, last year. Oh my gosh! About a bear that went nuts in a national park, and I, I did I hear about that. To, um, yeah, so I was talking to a reader at the production company I'm working with right now, and he's like. It's like, I thought it would be pretty good, but no, if you want a good, like, bear story, you got to read Shirtless Bear Fighter. So it was, uh, thank you, Jake. It was very odd, and I really enjoyed it. And, uh,
0: other than that, I'm just still opening Pokemon cards. Brendan, what about you? <laughs> um, so you mentioned some weird humor. Uh, we had the excitement. I don't know if you guys seen any of I Think You Should Leave with Tim Robinson. Yes. Very weird. Season. Very funny. Season two was yesterday, and we giggled all night long. <laughs> um, so did that. Uh, been enjoying loki a lot i'm really excited to see episode five in about 20 minutes now there you go. um finished the godzilla anime the the new one on netflix enjoyed it a lot of science psycho babble, but uh really had a good time with it because the the soft spot i have in godzilla and then um i'm about halfway through tarantino's novel of once upon a time in hollywood oh wow and ah. i'm enjoying the heck out of it like you don't like tarantino you're not gonna like the novel but it's been a fun – it's mostly just him ranting, pretending it's uh, – through the perspective of his characters about old movies, and I'm enjoying it quite a bit. So he – so wait, he wrote the book? He he made the movie, right. and then the book he wrote over the pandemic, and it came out last Tuesday. Wow. It's a weird thing because he missed the – so the, the old film novelizations of the 80s where you couldn't – it was 70s, 80s, so that you could relive the movie since you couldn't own it. He right, missed right. those times, so he released it on mass-market paperback directly. So there's no hardcover. There's no big paperback. He's totally going the nostalgia route, and it oozes that. And I've That's so Clark Tarantino. It. Hey, can I, can really I say uh, two more things that I just thought of? Yeah, yeah
2: please. Um, I, I'm not a big comic book reader. I'm a fan of the medium, but I don't read much. Mm-hmm. But, but one comic book that I always read and keep a big collection of is Atomic Robo. And Atomic uh, Robo is great. Yeah. Well, I'm glad yeah. you know what that is. I, uh, I do know what that is. It, since we're talking about giant robots, he's not giant, but he is a robot and he has fought for, uh, uh, for the U S and, and, throughout history. And, uh, boy, every single one of them, it's kind of like, uh, Indiana Jones kind of heightened situations, but with a robot. Yeah. And it's very I've not funny. read a ton of it, but I am, I am, I am working fun. tire tirelessly with the creators to get a movie made. Um, uh, but I've been working for 10 years, amazing. so. We are still doing it. We, we, we've got a movie plan, but, um, but I just love the comic. Um, so we'll see that. And then dare I uh, recommend another podcast. If you guys are writers or if there are people out there that want to write movies, um, A Script Apart is what the podcast Ooh, is called. Script Apart. And it's uh, a very gentle British host and interviewer. But he interviews, uh, he takes one script from one classic big movie you've heard of, And he interviews the screenwriter and they sit for an hour and talk about the choices they made, um, the pitfalls, even while making the movie, the rewrites they had to do. So I've listened to the guy who wrote Die Hard, the guy who wrote Terminator 2 with James Cameron. Um, Very, uh, very fascinating stories that come out of everything and uh, inspiring as a writer, because even though we love these movies, everybody was just staring at a page, making choices just like we are. And that's that's inspiring. Mm -hmm.
1: That's awesome. great.
0: Yeah, definitely downloading cool. that. Oh, Sweet. Well, cool. well, thanks
1: again, Corey, for being on. We'll definitely have you on it at another time to talk pleasure. about one of those wonderful no, movies. I think oh. I'm all gushed out. Or another one. Yeah, man. Oh. <laughs> so I appreciate it. Thank you for coming on. It's been a Thanks, been a guys. Yes, thanks, everyone, for checking out the podcast. We'll see you in the next one. Take it easy. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye.